You're listening to an Imagine More podcast. The presentation you're about to hear was recorded as part of the 2021 Get That Good Life Conference. We've split this session into three parts. This is part one. Hello, everybody, and welcome. I'm Jan Kruger, the Executive Director of Imagine More, and I'm thrilled to welcome you to the first pre-conference webinar as part of the Get That Good Life Conference. We want to acknowledge that we're meeting across many locations across Australia and abroad today, and today we'll be meeting from Ngunnawal country. We acknowledge the Ngunnawal people the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet today. And we also acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which you are living, learning and working from today. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and we extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people here today. We also want to acknowledge um, the Australian Department of Social Services that's, that's enabled us to run this conference for free registration for you all. We often can't do that, so we're thrilled that we've had their support as part of of an individual capacity building grant. So for those that don't know much about our organisation, Imagine More, we believe in a community where everyone is included, valued and contributing through meaningful roles. And we do this through uh, various different avenues of one-on-one conversations with people. We run peer support groups, workshops, conferences like the one you're joining today and we really want to foster the courage and motivation for people to take action that leads people with disability to take up valued roles in the community where various different relationships can grow. We also have a keen investment in building leadership within people with disability and their families And you will see our young introducer today as one of those aspects of investing in in leadership. So Imagine Law is guided by the principles of social role valorization theory. And we do this because it really helps us understand how we can counteract how people with disability are often devalued in our society. And they're often distanced from the regular community. So instead, it helps us see how we can focus on people taking up valued social roles in the community where they can contribute and participate. And this often starts at school. So attending school with siblings and local families and neighbours, discovering a person's interests through a variety of different experiences to take up sport, for example, it all happens in those school age years. So this this will certainly be the focus of today's session with Sarah Humphreys. So we're very excited to launch our very first pre-conference webinar with Sarah with that focus on school inclusion. It's very exciting to have you all here today. Throughout the conference, we will have young people with disability introducing each presenter. So now I'd like to hand over to our young introducer, Laura Esplet. And I'd like to give Laura a warm welcome here today. Thank you. Hello, I'm Omari Espen. I'm a network critic, Mr. and Nationalist. I am here to you a picture of British service. Me, 
Tree is a big supporter of cultural education. He works with schools to help them practice help. There is a problem to us of fixing the same thing in ways and I hope being sorry Thank you, Laura. That was the most amazing introduction I think I've ever had for a conference presentation. And I really appreciate you doing that and welcoming me today. And welcome to all of you who joined us today for um, this first pre-conference webinar. My name, as Laura has said, is Sarah Humphreys, and I'm joining you from the Northern Beaches in Sydney on the lands of the Gadigal people. And I would like to pay my respect to elders past, present and emerging. So my presentation today is entitled Don't Settle for Something Else. And all too often, I'm finding that expectations for students with disability are set below that of their non-disabled peers, which can result in limited opportunities for them at school. And sometimes this can look like activities that are something else to what the rest of the class is actually receiving. So my goal for today is to support you to feel confident in the knowledge that all children can learn the same things as their peers. But actually, they just need to go about it in a different way. I'm also going to give you the opportunity to look at some examples of individual learning goals and help you recognize the ones that really have the potential to restrict learning and risk um, your child or, or your students being given something else to do other than the same learning as the rest of the class. And then finally, we'll look at a process Again, to help you feel confident, and this is for families and for schools, but to feel confident to have those conversations about what you do want for your child or for your student, and also what you're not prepared to, to settle for. So those are our goals for this morning, and we'll check in on those at the, at the end of today's session and, and, and see how we went with that. So just to let you know, um, I have the collection of the resources that I'll be using with you today in a Padlet. So a Padlet is an online tool. Normally you would get a handout at a conference. Um, this is your handout in electronic form. So let's start with our first goal um, and really exploring how all children can learn the same thing, but just not go about it in the same way. And this is very different from children being given something different to do altogether. So I'll give you an, an example of what, that, what, of what that actually means. So we can all attend a conference. Sometimes you can attend in person um, and sometimes you can attend remotely via live stream. Some of you will want to focus on the presentation uh, without any distractions and there'll be others who will seek the opportunity to be listening to the presentations while multitasking and doing something else. Um, I often do that. You get to choose whatever works best for you. Sometimes when we register for a conference, we may actually prefer to wait the recordings and then we can view the conference at our leisure in a time that works for us and maybe even go back and watch it multiple times. Uh, another strategy I use sometimes for participating in a conference is to follow the 
the Twitter feed. Um, sometimes that's just a quick way to be able to follow the key messages of a conference when you haven't been able to attend in person. So you can see those examples show that there are, we can all attend a conference, so we can all do the same thing, but we can go about it in lots of different ways. If you were told that you had to sit and listen to me for two hours and turn off all other devices, you might actually find that quite demotivating. So it is really important that we build choice and flexibility in the way we allow um, our, our children, our students to go about their learning. So analogies can be a really useful way to get this message across. And I'm really hoping that with the examples we're going to look at this morning, um, you'll take away some analogies that might be helpful for you when you're working with your school to really ensure that your child or your student is accessing the, the same learning. So we're going to have a go at doing this together. So are you ready? I'm going to invite you all to a dinner party. And I would like you, please, to bring a pavlova. So what I want to know is what are you going to do to bring that pavlova? So, for example, are you going to make it or are you going to buy it? Or what else will you do? And we're going to share all of your ideas and see how many different ways or how many different solutions you have as an audience um, to bring a pavlova to my dinner party. So we'll, we should start to see some of your ideas coming up on the, on the uh, screen. Okay. So I don't like pavlova, I can see here. So straight away that's telling me if you don't like pavlova, Hmm. Maybe I should be building in some more options for our, for our dinner party. Um, someone's going to make it in their new oven. Lovely. So that sounds highly uh, motivating for the participant who put that in there. They're obviously excited about their new oven. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I will make it, but I'm vegan. Ah, okay. So I'm wondering if there's a, a, a vegan option um, that we could, we could explore for a pavlova. Um, buy the base and then dress it myself. Yep, that's a very, very practical. Make it and decorate it with fresh fruit and cream. Make it the day before. Okay, so we've got lots and lots of different ideas coming in here. It's fantastic. So as you can see, there is more than one way that you can go about preparing and bring a, bringing a pavlova to, um, to my dinner party. So what we're doing here is I'm wanting you to think about there is more than one way we can go about achieving the same thing, which is different from doing something different. And this leads me very nicely to introduce you to the Universal Design for Learning framework. This is a research-based framework that guides teachers in designing or coming up with multiple ways to engage their learners in activities in the classroom. And in just a moment, we're going to listen to a UDL expert, Katie Novak, who's going to use her own dinner party analogy to explain to us how universal design for learning is a fantastic strategy for us to use at school to really guide inclusive practices. 
At this point in her presentation, Sarah played a video featuring Dr. Katie Novak from Novak Educational Consulting. The link to the video is in the show notes. So Katie's dinner party analogy is a great way to explain how anticipating different dietary requirements and planning a meal in advance to meet of those different requirements ensures that everybody has a great experience and a really nutritious meal. The cook only has to plan one meal, albeit with lots of options. Every guest is going to get a tasty meal and no one is going to get left with the only option being a lettuce leaf. And this is really important in the context of learning and why I really like to use analogies, especially when low expectations um, are uh, imposed on, on, on our children. So the next three examples are going to illustrate this point about why it's so important that we do have high academic expectations and we design healthy, nutritious teaching and learning activities so that none of our students or none of our children get left with the only option being the lettuce leaf. So I'm going to use science examples um, to talk this through. And we're looking at an extract from science from kindergarten to year 10. And what you'll see is there's a progression of learning. So the the knowledge and information that students learn in their early years is built on and developed and deepened as they, as they move through school. So in year um, two, we can see that um, children learn about food and shelter, growth and change. And typically at this um, stage of schooling, they're learning about the life cycle of the butterfly. And as they move through school, and this knowledge is built upon, by year 10, they're starting to look at the interrelationships between plants and animals, and they're introduced to their body systems and genetics. But for some children with an intellectual disability, a decision is made that they're working at a lower level of the curriculum. So if we take this literally, that means that for some of our learners who might be in year 10, they're still learning that year two content and they get stuck learning about the life cycle of the butterfly. The impact of that is that it gets repetitive and boring and it's not relevant. So ensuring that we have high academic expectations and trying to find the way that we can make that accessible to, to our, our learners um, it is what, what this is all about. And it matters because if we change the learning goal for our, our children, we're not giving them access on the same basis, which is their right under the disability standards for education. We're limiting opportunities for lifelong learning. By the time you're an adolescent, it's important to learn about how your body works and not so important to learn about the butterfly. We're setting ourselves up as teachers to disengage our learners if we're always looking at lower levels of the curriculum. And we also risk a negative impact on our learners' social development by giving them something different to do. I've got another example for you, and um, I'm sticking with science for the moment, but we will look at some other curriculum areas shortly. So this one is looking at electricity, and electricity is typically taught in year six. 
And you can see from the way I put this slide together that there isn't any content prior to year six around electricity. So again, if a decision is made that a child is working at a lower level, we're, we're sending a message that they can't learn the content that aligns with their age. And if we're saying they can't learn it, then what are we going to be teaching them? So in this example, there isn't any content that relates to electricity. So what will happen is a child who is labelled as working at a lower level will be doing something completely different to the rest of the class. Being given access to the same learning as your peers matters. And it matters because we presume competence for everybody else. We don't, as teachers, make decisions that our students aren't going to learn this content or aren't going to get their head around it. We find ways to make that work for them. And exactly the same mindset needs to be applied to our learners who have a, a disability as well. So this leads me to my final science example. So here we're looking at um, when students start learning or children start learning about the earth and its relationship with the sun and the moon and how this results in eclipses and tides and so on. I have witnessed in many situations where children get, even at high school, get stuck learning about day and night and not moving through to learn about those interrelationships between the earth as part of the universe. They get stuck with activities when matching the right outfit for the seasons. And you can see again that this can be disengaging for our learners. A mindset that the students haven't understood day and night yet is not a good enough reason to not keep moving through the curriculum. Everyone else moves forward. And it really is possible to find ways to teach about the Earth's axis the phases of the moon, while still in reinforcing the concepts of day and night. So I'm not saying because students haven't learned or your child hasn't learned those early concepts that we, uh, we just forget that and keep moving on. We still need to build that in, but we need to continue moving through the rest of the curriculum so that it's exciting, it's engaging, and they're a part of what everybody else is learning. Um, and I will go into this in more detail in my conference presentation in a couple of weeks, translating high expectations into quality education. But I really do believe that pushing for high academic expectations is just as important as pushing for those high social expectations. So let's look at another slide. And I want you to have a think about this statement for a moment. So the least dangerous assumption, have a look at these two statements and ask yourself, which is the least dangerous assumption to make? That students can't learn or that they can learn? We assumed they could not learn, so we did not give them the opportunity versus we assumed they could learn, so we gave them every opportunity. The least dangerous assumption is to presume competence, as those examples earlier showed. The risk is too great not to presume competence. And in the context of this presentation, 
the risk is that your child or the student in your class will end up being given something else to do that's not the same as everybody else. So we're going to see how you're feeling after, after looking at um, that statement about the least dangerous assumption. And um, so I've got a couple of questions for you. So the first one is to, uh, is to think about, has your child or a student in your class or in your, in your experience been given something else from the rest of the class? So either something else to work on or a different place to go. So that's the first question. And then we're going to use a word cloud. The second part is using one word, describe how that makes you feel. So first of all, we'll just look at your answers to the question, has your child or a student in your, in your care, child in your care, um, been given something else from the rest of the class? And I think it's interesting for you to see what other people's experiences are as well. So a lot of people sometimes, yes, their child has been given something else to do. Um, but we have quite a high percentage, around 30% of most of the time. Um, and so that's, that's quite concerning. Um, occasionally people, um, are, are, are saying around sort of 10, 15%, their child's been given, um, something different to do. Um, all of the time and, and, and never. Okay. So nothing there. So really the message I'm getting is that this is happening. I know it's happening. I see it myself when I'm working with schools. So, um, oh, we do have some people saying this is happening all of the time. Okay. So now that you've answered that question, if you scroll down and you go to the second, the second question, use and just type in a word, um, how do you feel? Okay. So I can see frustrated, concerned, cranky, absolutely embarrassing. Yep undervalued, disgusted, deflated, excluded, infuriating, I think I'm seeing there, disappointed, devastated. So the, your emotions are actually telling me a, a lot more than the, the, the first question is that this is having a huge impact on you. Um, and, you know, for, for, for teachers and, and parents alike, um, I think for teachers sometimes it can be... Um, you know, quite a, quite a worry, maybe not knowing how to support um, a child to be included in, in their class. Um, as a parent, obviously, those emotions do run, do run very deep. So if this check-in with you has really raised some concerns and some negative feelings, I want to reassure you that the next few slides are to show some examples of where I've worked in schools um, and we've seen a real shift in practice um, with children being involved in the same activities but going about it a different way. I really want to give you um, confidence and a sense of hope that this is, this is possible while acknowledging that there are some um, very strong emotions around um, the, the current situation that's happening with kids with disability in school. So I'm going to move on to um, my next slide now. And the examples I'm going to share with you, as I said, are drawn from um, schools that I've been working with recently. And I want to highlight that really the change has been around a shift in mindset and changing a view of students can't um, to 
students can. So the schools that I've worked with really did embrace the notion of least dangerous assumption. What harm am I going to do if I aim high? If I make that assumption that all of my children can learn and then the support that they got was to understand the how. How am I going to make that happen? And this is why I like to talk um, in analogies. So the conference presentation, the Pavlova. So you already know there are real life experiences that support this idea that you can do the same thing, but you just go about it in, in different ways. So our first example here, it's a year four English example. Um, and I've tried to set the slide up so it mirrors the least dangerous assumption. So on the left, We've got the can't statement. Akash can't write a speech about a storybook. Let's give him something else to do. Versus Akash can give a presentation about a storybook. Let's work out how. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about uh, this, this scenario while you're, you're looking at the slide. And you can see the graphics at the bottom there. Um, I've... Um, you know, they're, they're very common images that I'm sure if you've been involved with Imagine More before, you will have seen these promoting what inclusion look like, looks like. The circles at the bottom um, on the right-hand side of the screen, everybody is in the circle versus over on the left-hand side of the screen, you've got circles within a circle um, or circles outside the segregation and, and, and integration. So back to the story. So in this scenario... Akash is a regular, uh, in a regular year four English class, and he struggles to participate during the literacy block in the morning as a result of the challenging behaviours that he's exhibiting, which includes swiping materials off the desk and running out of the classroom. So Akash has good receptive language skills, but he does struggle with his expressive language. And as a result of this, the teacher has established a routine during that literacy block that focuses on Akash developing literacy skills that are separate to what everybody else is doing. Um, so the literacy block routine, um, while the other students are reading and writing, Akash goes through the calendar, looks at what day it is, what the weather's like, he traces his name, and then he goes to the library with the, the teacher's aid to find a book. So essentially, these activities that were given to Akash were about managing his behavior because the teacher couldn't see a way of including him in the same literacy block activities. This is a really happy story, um, and, and, it, and it is a true story. I have just changed the children's names. Changing the teacher's mindset came about, first of all, by asking lots of questions and discussing what the purpose of the activities that Akash was being given were. And there was a realisation very, very quickly that these activities were actually quite boring. They were repetitive. He'd been doing them for more than a year, um, the days of the week thing. And look, I'm English and I can tell you, I don't want to talk about the weather every day of the week, every, every week of the year. And this happens in school with students with disability. I don't know what the, the idea is with weather, but we don't need to dwell on it all of the time um, because it's creating problems. But this fabulous teacher was very open to discussing, okay, so 
we started um, talking about what is the purpose of the learning for the whole class. We really wanted to um, establish a least dangerous expectation. And the way we went about that was to ask, what's the big idea of the literacy block activities? You know, what's the gist of it? What do students need to learn? We increased the expectation that Akash would be a part of that lesson and would be doing some work because, again, there were no expectations for him that he would need to do anything at Sidders, his desk, for any length of time. Um, and we also talked about noticing and praising the behaviours that the teacher wanted to see. So we were looking for a decrease in unwanted behaviours and an increase in learning achievement. And the reason why I say this is a happy story, within a very, very short amount of time, I mean, I'm talking a couple of weeks, if that, I had a fabulous email from the teacher with a video to celebrate what had happened with Akash. And she said to me, and I'll, I, I quote, here is a story Akash composed today with the teacher's aid using the story prompts that I provided. It's amazing. He just loved me sharing his story with the class. So the message here is that all students can learn the same thing, but we just need to find a way or the right way for them to go about it. The least dangerous assumption is to have those high expectations and to really challenge that can't-do mindset, which results in students getting something else to work on, and promote that inclusive mindset which is about exploring what the learning is all about and how we can make it happen. So I've got a high school example to share with you here now. So this is a year seven English example. And again, this is a real example from a school I've worked with. I've just changed the name of the student. So in this scenario, the can't do attitude was Sarah can't read the novel. Let's give her something else to do because Sarah has cerebral palsy. She's nonverbal, she uses technology to communicate, and she has quite limited function with her hands. Versus a least dangerous assumption mindset, Sarah can learn about the key messages of the novel. Let's work out how. So when first working with Sarah's teacher, the mindset was she can't do it, so I need to give her something else to do. And this was often with the teacher's aid or outside of the classroom, she would go to the library, to the support unit. Often the something else that Sarah was given to do was to work on developing her communication skills. And this was often on her iPad. She had ProLoquo to go as her augmentative and alternative communication system, her AAC. And that often meant she went out of the classroom to work just on communication skills. So changing teacher mindset, again, came about by first and foremost, viewing Sarah as being a participating member of the class. We wanted her to be in the classroom as part of that lesson. So the next step was to explore how. And this is the hard part. And this is where for teachers, I think it can be a real struggle. You might have the belief, but you, you need the support to work out how or what that's going to look like. So in this example here, the class were studying the novel The Giver by Lois Lowry, and they were learning about the different characters in, in the story and their personalities. So instead of starting with the mindset, Sarah can't read the novel, 
I asked the question, why are we studying the novel? So the key messages were around courage and the importance of memory for humans. So the next step was to go, okay, how can we give Sarah access to this? And um, The Giver, you can actually um, get available as a graphic novel, as a, an electronic graphic novel. Um, there's also a movie for The Giver. And it also turns out there are a whole host of educational resources on the internet all about The Giver with summaries of the chapters, et cetera, et cetera. So we created an alternative format for Sarah to access The Giver. It wasn't about her being able to read the novel. It was about her being able to access the information and understand those characteristics of the main characters. Um, so we it was a PowerPoint that we ended up, we did screenshots from the graphic novel, we embedded videos that were summaries of the chapter. And so she was able to access all of that information independently, use a switch to turn the slides so she was in control of her own reading. And also the other lovely thing about that is she had a resource that she was able to interact and share with her peers. So she didn't need to be sitting with a teacher's aide to be looking at the novel. So in short, a novel study is not about being able to read a novel. It's much more complex than that. Including Sarah in the study of the novel provided opportunities for her to develop her communication skills, but in a much more meaningful context. So instead of her going out to work on a, a program unrelated to the learning, um, she was able to um, develop her communication through the study of the novel, answering questions, using her eye gaze, selecting with her switch. So again, the message here is all students can learn the same thing, but we just need to explore the different ways that they can go about it. The least dangerous assumption is to have high expectations and to find the right support for the teacher. Because when you start adapting novels, it can take extra time and you need extra brain power to, to come up with some of the creative ideas as well. You've been listening to an Imagine More podcast. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to review us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And go to imaginemore.org.au for more great content.